Welcome to the Post-COVID Church Podcast with your host, Stuart Kellogg. Welcome, and today on the Post-COVID Church Podcast, we have one of the nation's preeminent authorities on biblical worldview, and we'll discuss how the post-COVID church can change to regain its influence in the culture. John Stone Street serves as president of the Colson Center for Christian Worldview. He's a sought-after author and speaker on areas of faith and culture, theology, worldview, education, and apologetics. John is the daily voice of Breakpoint, the nationally syndicated commentary on the culture founded by the late Chuck Colson and the host of Breakpoint Podcast. He has co-authored five books, including A Practical Guide to Culture and Restoring All Things. John holds degrees from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School and Bryan College. He and his wife, Sarah, have four children and live in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Welcome, John. Thank you for being part of the Post-COVID Church Podcast. Oh, you bet. Thanks, Stuart. For those not aware, can you explain um, the Colson Center's mission? Yeah, I mean, what we have is a, a church that's reeling because of uh, the changing ideas, the changing trends, just the chaos of our cultural moment. And of course, that's always been the case where Christians don't live out of Christian faith in a vacuum. We live it out in a, in, in a context. And that context uh, varies greatly from time to time and place to place. And of course, some of these contexts have been quite hostile to Christianity. Uh, some of them, and I think we're kind of moving uh, in, you know, from one of these contexts to another, have been more subversive. In other words, the danger has been far more underground than we have kind of given it credit for. It's not kind of a direct, put a gun to your head, do you believe in God, you know, sort of challenge. It's, it's much more of, uh, of whether our, uh, our beliefs and our habits and our uh, our priorities will remain that of Christ, uh, you know, with the, the the pressure that's going on around us. So the Colson Center just exists to help Christians understand the cultural moment and then to respond to that cultural moment the way that Christ would want us to do it, both as individuals and as, as a church together. Can you explain what you mean by biblical worldview? It's one of those terms or Christian worldview that gets... Uh, talked about, but a lot of times people don't have a real grasp of it. Sure, yeah. I mean, a, a worldview is just a way to uh, uh, describe something that everybody has, which is uh, a set of beliefs, whether they're uh, aware of those beliefs or whether they're just kind of deeply assumed beliefs that they inherited from their from their family or their culture or, you know, or their upbringing or whatever. Uh, but it's the lens through which we see the world. I mean, it's interesting. Those who are you know, creationist of one form or another, and those who are uh, naturalist, uh, uh, you know, atheistic evolutionists, are, they're looking at the same rocks. They're not looking at different rocks. They're looking at the same animal species, and they're interpreting it very differently. And I'm not saying that everyone's, you know, equally right or equally wrong in their interpretations. It's just that people do have interpretations. Um, you know, we look at, you know, very real things that exist in the world, like human sexuality, and we come up with vastly different views on, uh, you know, morality and even who, who we are as human beings that are engaging in this sort of behavior and whether it's behavior or identity and all this other stuff, that's all interpretation. That's the power of worldview. It's like a pair of belief glasses. It's like a pair of prescription lenses. Um, and those prescriptions will either allow you to see what's there, or it'll actually make whatever is there, uh, uh, hard to see. And um, a Christian worldview then is, is, is based on 
the the I, the truthfulness of Christianity uh, and and what God has revealed in Scripture, what He's given to His church, uh, what uh, we know from the person of Jesus Christ, is seeing all of reality uh, through through that lens. Um, and uh, there's a you know various ways to sum this up, but you know for example, seeing the world as a place that's been created and designed and therefore given to us, rather than a place that is uh, has no purpose or intent behind it. And it's something that we can socially reconstruct, um, seeing individuals, human people as, as uh, unique, uh, made in the image and likeness of God, ha having value not because of anything that they can do or any qualities or characteristics that they have, but because of something intrinsic about who they are. It's a very different view than a view which says, well, we're animals with a conscience, and so... Uh, you know, our moral norms are really not, uh, you know, obligatory over our lives that, you know, those who survive uh, are those who are the most powerful, uh, you know, dignity is something that we earn or something that we have to uh, force on others. Uh, these are very different visions of the world. Um, whether morality is baked into the universe like gravity or whether morality changes from person to person or culture to culture. Uh, and then whether history is headed towards some sort of, you know, economic utopia, as the Marxists would say, whether it's headed to some sort of kind of disembodied return to the universal spirit, like we, you know, uh, Hindus would say, or whether, you know, there is a restoration, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a process by which the things that are wrong are going to be made right. Um, you know, these are very different visions for life in the world, and they make a big difference in how whether, whether we're seeing what's there or whether we're seeing some sort of distorted picture of what's there. Talked to uh, George Barna just a couple of weeks ago. And of course he's been studying worldview for, for decades. And in his definition, it's more than just believing in Jesus and, and, mm -hmm. and it's, it's certain beliefs and attitudes. And by his reckoning, about 6% of Americans have a biblical worldview, strictly speaking. One, do you buy that number? And two, uh, why is it so low? <laughs> Well, I mean, look, I, I, I you know, I, he had a, a, a pretty specific definition of uh, worldview and sometimes, you know, how you ask the questions can impact things. But if he's anywhere close, it's still a disaster, right? I mean, you can quadruple that number and it's still terrible. Um, and, uh, but, but more than that, it's, 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 it's kind of what we're bringing into situations like what we faced in 2020, a contentious election. Uh, a, uh, a cultural uh, situation in which, um, you know, the American context was on the verge of exploding, um, a loss of a shared vision of who we are as a people and where we're headed, uh, a global pandemic. I mean, you know, that's the thing about worldview. It's, it's, it's not just something you have, it's something you bring with you uh, into times that are already quite vulnerable. And I, I think that both the election in 2020 as well as the pandemic have revealed that, uh, you know, what I like to call pre-existing conditions. And I'm not talking about, you know, obesity or high blood pressure. I'm talking about uh, pre-existing cultural conditions, moral conditions of society. And when, a, you know, it's, 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 you know, you live down in Alabama, right? I mean, you know, whether a building survives a direct hit from a hurricane uh, it has a lot to do with the hurricane, but it has a lot more to do with the building. And, um, you know, what it's built on and, and what its engineers, uh, you know, foresaw and, and put into it. And that's what I think we have seen in 2020 is some things revealed about us. Most of it's probably not what we would like to admit about ourselves. 
I'm speaking to John Stone Street, president of the Colson Center for Christian Worldview. Well, you write, speaking of the period that we're in, uh, this political period, when it comes to politics, especially the high stakes kind that defines the current climate, American Christians have a history of losing the story in the chaos of the moment. Can you explain that? Well, yeah, the story in the moment is a framework that we use a lot around the Colson Center, uh, and that's what the Christian worldview provides. It provides a story that has, that at a 40, 50,000 you know, foot view has already been written. Um, and so we find ourselves in the moment of that story. Uh, that's very different than some worldviews in which, you know, there's not someone or something that's authoring uh, the story of the human history or the story of the world that we know. It's just kind of, you know, carrying on. I think it was Henry Ford who said history is just one darn thing after another, you know, with, a, you know, no end. Although I, he's used maybe a little more colorful language right there. Um but the, the, what Christianity gives us through the word of God centered around the person of Jesus Christ is a view not just of right and wrong and a view not just of, um, uh, uh, you know, Jesus and how I can have my personal sins forgiven. The scriptures give an entire narrative of reality. Starts with the creation of all things and ends with the new creation of all things. Um, tells us what went wrong. Tells us how it's going to be fixed and what it's going to look like at the end to some degree. So it's kind of like a big old map. And if you go to a mall and, you know, you're trying to find a coffee shop, you look at the map you don't only find the map on the map. You don't only find the coffee shop. You got to find that yellow arrow that says you are here. And that's the power of having the scripture is that you are in this big story and we can look and go, Oh, we, we we're kind of somewhere between acts and revelation. That's where we're at. And that whole context gives us meaning. Now, when we treat the Bible instead of the overarching narrative, the grand defining reality of the world that it is, then what we do is we kind of break it apart into what I think Philip Yancey once called moral McNuggets. You know, we take the stories and the verses and we turn them into these little things that we can apply to our life to help us kind of like an Aesop fable or, a, you know, a really clever thing that, you know, Mark Twain said or something like that. Um, and what we lose there is the larger context where that becomes really um, uh, crucial and where we become really vulnerable is when there doesn't seem to be any sort of coherent future possible. And many of us feel like that coming out of 2020, you know, the uncertainty and the moving targets of uh, COVID, uh, the uh, whether or not we can trust our uh, leaders, which I think most Americans have already spoken on that. Um, you know, who leads us, you know, where are we going to find our hope? You know, so we, we, the election is a great example. We, we, we have a, one group of Christians who, uh, you know, believe that Trump was the Messiah. We have another group of Christians that believe Trump was the Antichrist. Neither one of those things are true. In fact, both of those things are heretical and damaging to a Christian's faith and witness. Um, and it makes it impossible for us to make good decisions as citizens. And where that comes is that we've taken the moment and turned it into the story, or we've tried to define the story out of the moment. This is the brilliance of having the scriptures in our hands, having the big story in our hands, is that we can, instead of that, trying to make sense of this whole story of the universe from the chaos of the moment, we can make sense of this moment. 
from the perspective of the story. We've been given the big picture. I often use the example of the Lord of the Rings and I'll just use the, the movies. You know, if you're like, Hey, have you seen those movies, the Lord of the Rings? And it's like, well, you know, I watched the first one and it was great, but I'm not gonna watch anymore. Why? Well, because at the end of the first one, you know, Gandalf dies and what kind of stupid person would kill Gandalf in his movie. And you'd be like, well, wait, that's not how it ends. Like he comes back and he's even more awesome. A in other words, you would say, you know, don't, 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 don't define the entire story by that moment. But, you know, for those who look and go, oh, man, so, you know, Biden's in office, all will be well, or Biden's in office, all is lost. Neither one of those things are true. The story is secure. Where we fit into that story uh, matters. And, and, you know, what I also love, too, and let me just be clear about this, um, not only are we given the story, it, it's not a fatalistic giving of the story, like, you know, hey, no matter what you do, it's all going to work out well in the end. So just go on vacation. That's not the way it is. The story is given to us in our in our identity as human beings is, is described to us in a Christian worldview in such a way that what we do in this moment matters. Uh, and it matters greatly. It matters for the kingdom of God. It matters for other image bearers. It, you know, we have a real opportunity to make a difference and join that that story. Not that we author it, not that we bring it about, but we can join what God is doing in the world. Let's talk about that as far as the post-COVID church. How can someone listening, how can she have an impact on, on her church to make sure that the people aren't just satisfied with knowing Jesus, but having and living out the biblical worldview? Well, look, again, what we can do is put it in a larger context, and COVID is just, I think, made this even more, this need even more acute. One of the uh, uh, realities of uh, contemporary American culture is that so much has been nationalized. The political story, the national news, uh, you know, has been nationalized. And, and, and so what we do is we get trapped in kind of the swirling things that are happening on the coast in DC and Hollywood, uh, as if that's the most important thing. And we get convinced of that. Uh, this is a, a dramatic shift in the American experiment, one that just dates back five or six or seven decades. And that's not that old, really, um, because America in its earliest days was strongest when it was uh, when, when life was more localized. Uh, in other words, where we didn't look to um, the coast to define our meaning, to define our existence, to define how we spend our leisure time and where we look to for answers to our problems. Now, of course, you know, there were national sins like slavery that needed to be dealt with on a uh, federal level. Uh, at the same time, the federalization of more and more and more and more has led to the emptying out of what we call the middle of culture. And that has become acutely uh, obvious during COVID. So what we had in a national culture that sees politics, that sees uh, entertainment, that sees uh, leisure, that sees almost every aspect of our life uh, from kind of the top of culture perspective. See, it used to be there. Okay, there's the top of culture, there's the bottom of culture, there's the big, the big, you know, the big, big state, and there's these individual citizens. But in between those two, layer upon layer of strong, rich community life, family, church, voluntary association, bowling leagues, you know, the Boy Scouts and just name it. And it was this big, robust middle. As those that middle has become thinner and thinner and thinner, then there's nothing left but national. How do we see that come out in COVID? Well, I mean, there was a devastating situation in New York and the entire country changed because of what was happening in New York. 
um, we see it state by state where dramatic differences across California. Um, and yet, you know, we define everything kind of on a centralized sort of way. I, I think that both reveals something about kind of what's gone wrong, but I think it also reveals an awful lot about what we can do. More Christians sit around complaining about what they can't do to change DC and Hollywood than what they can do to change what's happening in their own backyard in their own sphere of influence. Now, I'm not saying what happens in DC and Hollywood is not important. Praise God, there are people there. They're doing great. You know, there's great people doing great things in both places. What we need is people doing great things in every place, because as Paul says in Acts chapter 17, God determines the times in which you live and the boundaries of your dwelling place. If you find yourself in the middle, then steward the middle, bring restoration and redemption to the middle. And I think we've seen that uh, on a number of levels. Our, 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 the inability, for example, of churches to deal with local communities in the midst of this crisis has, has shown, has, has, has ended up in a and and an unbelievable spike in suicidal ideation um, and uh, mental illness. Uh, You know, in other words, these are the side effects of COVID that have nothing to do with COVID whatsoever. They have to do with the isolation. That's where the church can reach out to the hurting. That's where the church can provide help, but it has something to do with the church remembering the localized, um, uh, uh, the the, the localized work that it's been called to do. and I, I, I think that that's a feature of American culture that has, that has misled us. Um, and we need to go back to it. And once we start there, once we start looking around and say, well, what good can I do? Then we'll stop asking the question, you know, what's all the good that we can't do? You know, it's like, well, I can't change this and I can't change that. There's so much we can change. And, uh, and we'll see the church being a part of that change, right? Well, it's, it's what, what, yeah, that's right. And, you know, again, we believe every single life is made in the image and likeness of God. So it has eternal significant value. Well, if you start with that premise, then what, what's happening in, you know, the middle of nowhere, Nebraska is, 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 is significant because we're dealing with image bearers, right? Uh, just as significant as what's happening in downtown New York City. My guest, John Stone Street, president of the Colson Center for Christian Worldview. You write in a practical guide to culture. Culture tends to shape us most deeply by what it presents as normal. I don't think there's any better example of that than sexuality and how that has changed and that how that has gotten into the church. How does the post-COVID church help um, make a change when it comes to how mm. sexuality is viewed? Well, I mean, obviously, one of the things that's been devastating is that when it comes to um, hypocrisy, um, we've got a pretty bad reputation. Um, and we even during COVID, you know, had four or five or six pretty big revelations of of leaders and, and churches and ministries and so on, um, or at least accusations. And, and, and that's devastating. Um, of, of course, you know, it, it fits within the gospel paradigm that, you know, Christians aren't non-sinners. We're just as sinful as anybody else. We've just found redemption. I, I, I think that's a um, uh, th- that's something that's really hurt our reputation. Uh, I, I'm not sure there's a way forward, however, unless we actually get to the root of, of where this is going wrong. And what I mean is, is where culture is going wrong on sexuality. The church is spending an awful lot of energy and time talking about sexual morality, you know, whether, you know, and, uh, you know, talking about, you know, hey, these sexual behaviors or sexual changes are wrong. Or, of course, we got a whole segment of the church suddenly pretending as if the whole history of the church was wrong on sexual morality and saying it's right. Um, 
Now, you know, those who are compromising the clear sexual uh, moral teaching of the church and of the scripture are more wrong in this. But I do think that we have spent an awful lot of energy talking about morality when the real issue is identity. Um, that while we have been talking about behaviors that were once considered wrong that are now considered okay and behaviors that were once considered okay that are now considered wrong, uh, the, uh, the larger world, both at the academic level, but especially in the pop culture level, has been um, talking about what it means to be human. You know, we've been saying, you know, same-sex sexual behavior is wrong, and they're saying it's who I am. Uh, there's two different conversations. And for the church, we have one of the most, we have the most, without any sort of rival whatsoever, brilliant, robust vision of what it means to be human and this idea of the image of God. And we've allowed it theologically to become a talking point or a trivia bit. You know, I mean, I think you can go to most churches and say, hey, guys, fill in the blank. Humans are made. And everyone would say, in the image of God. And we'd be like, whoo. And then you say, well, what is that? <laughs> what difference does that make? And you'd hear a lot of crickets. And that's what's tragic. It's the same thing when it comes to marriage, right, which is a related question. Uh, you know, where did same-sex marriage come from? How did it go from being unthinkable to unquestionable, like, yes, you know, overnight? Well, we, it wasn't because the church wasn't talking about marriage. The church has been talking about marriage a lot for a long time, 30 years of having marriage seminars, but they're mostly how to do marriage. What, what the culture was doing, what academia was doing, what the arts were doing was having conversations about what marriage is. And these are theological grounding points. And the churches move from away from theological catechism to, to, um, um, how do I want to say it? Pragmatic missional sorts of things, you know, in other words, let's, here's how we should do church without actually asking, you know, who are we as Christians? This is, this has been a pretty dramatic shift for us. And, um, I think the cult, the culture has stolen away so much ground underneath the church's feet in areas of sex, in areas of gender and in areas of marriage that we're reeling right now, because we're not even allowed to set the terms of the debate or even come close to it. Is it also uh, a difficult time defending it because you're you're fighting someone who says this is how I feel versus the well, yeah I mean you don't you don't get the ability to so redefine things that are so observably bizarre you know um, uh, uh, you know saying things like now our media has said that not all women menstruate or you know men can have babies too. I mean, that's a, that's a place you get to that's hard to describe. I mean, Romans 1 does a pretty good job of describing it. You know, um, you, you, you reject the creator, you worship the creation, and then everything just becomes confused. That's my summary of Romans 1, by the way. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I think that's part of it, but it's not sufficient. I mean, I, I think we were having conversations about the nature of truth and postmodernism and relativism for a long time. But again, sex, the, the, the sexual revolution advanced not just by having conversations about, uh, 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 you know, uh, moral uh, about morality or about who decides what's right and wrong or about is there such a thing as right and wrong. Now, that that certainly greases the skids, but it has to do with the conversation that was much more fundamental about the nature of reality itself um, and and um, and who we are, and so. That's where the church, I think, you know, oftentimes missed the conversation. And you might argue that in many cases, we missed the conversation about truth as well. 
Finally, looking at uh, what's been going on during the pandemic in churches, what stands out? What one or two things stands out to you that you've seen churches do uh, that have has impressed you and that others listening uh, could copy to, to be a stronger post-COVID church? Yeah, uh, such a great question. I, you know, I think that there was an impressive uh, first few weeks where the ability of churches to pivot and say, you know, look, we're going online. We're going to, we're going to create systems to keep track of everyone. We're going to, you know, we're going to get through this together was really helpful. Uh, that stuff is harder to maintain than it is to start. And it's harder to maintain it. And I think that's what kind of we're seeing is you could, you know, we're all Zoom experts now, right? When somebody messes up Zoom, you're like, seriously, like you haven't figured this out by now. Like, what, what have you been doing for six months? Um, but I, I think where the real challenge is, is that Zoom uh, digital church is not a replacement for what church is. I think it's exposed something, at least in the evangelical church, um, the, the, the kind of whole market driven, you know, we're going to make this as easy as possible on you. So we're going to make this really attractive. We're going to have some really cool stuff. And now, you know, if, if going to church, which it was pre-COVID is basically going and observing, not particip participating, you can observe at home and people are figuring that out. And as I understand it, many churches are having a hard time even those that are open, even getting anywhere close to the sort of capacity that they're able to have either legally or, you know, physically. Um, and I, and I, and again, I, I think all this reflects pre-existing conditions prior to this. I, I am encouraged um, by uh, kind of the intentionality, uh, you know, that there are those that are really thinking, okay, what does this moment mean? And not just in terms of, how should we survive or how can we survive? I think that's the wrong question. It's the church is, the, if the church survives and doesn't do what God has called it to do, it doesn't matter if it survives or not. It's a weird thing that doesn't make any sense, especially in modern Western culture, unless it's doing something supernaturally, um, uh, uh, you know, supernaturally relevant, not culturally relevant. And I think there are some really interesting conversations happening on that. I think the churches that have um, uh, mobilized their members to mission in the middle of this, I think churches that have figured out a way to do participation uh, uh, that were, and, and communicate what worship is and what worship isn't are going to be far ahead of the game. I, I think that churches that their only justification for getting back together is quote unquote community, they're not going to survive. It is an opportunity. Can, there's there's what, a need and uh, the church can come out. It may be smaller, but uh, most people I talk to feel it will be stronger. Well, we're going to have to learn. And, and, and these are hard lessons. I, I, I you know, I, I wish I were, were more optimistic. Um, you know, I, I think there are wonderful, wonderful bright spots. And you know what, there are, uh, this is maybe even a further pivot point of something that's, I think, been happening for decades, which is turning the church, the attention of the American church to non-Western or developing nations in which it's flourished and in the, in the center of, um, of Christianity, uh, both in terms of theological commitment, uh, courage, uh, truth, 
practice. Uh, maybe we need to take more lessons from uh, our international brothers and sisters. Thank you, John, for being part of the Post-COVID Church Podcast. Thanks so much. My guest has been John Stone Street, president of the Colson Center for Christian Worldview. Our mission, helping the church plan and serve the post-pandemic world. I'm Stuart Kellogg. Thank you for being part of the Post-COVID Church Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Post-COVID Church Podcast. You can find much more at the Post-COVID Church group on Facebook or on the website, thepostcovidchurch.com.